0: Thank you so much for joining us today at Our Savior's Church, where we are one church meeting in five different locations. And our goal is to help you on your spiritual journey to know God, find freedom, discover purpose, and make a difference in the lives around you. If you'd like to learn more about Our Savior's Church or how to get involved, visit us online at OurSavior'sChurch.com.
1: Well, I'm so excited about today. Many of you know I've kind of kept you abreast. We've been praying for uh, you might remember the Masters Golf Tournament. If you're not a golfer, just get over it. And uh, that one of our very own in this house is a professional golf caddy. But beyond that, he is a, a man of God, an incredible husband, and a great daddy. And uh, just one of our mighty men in this house and has been a professional caddy for, I believe, 22 years. Most of that, his professional career was with Bubba Watson. They won two masters, which is the premier golf tournament in the world. And then just recently came out of retirement and hooked up with a Scotty Scheffler, young guy out of Dallas who loves Jesus. And they connected together and they've won four of the last seven or eight tournaments and became number one in the world. Number one in the world. So I told, I called Teddy one day. I said, Teddy, if, if Scotty's number one in the world, that means you're the number one caddy in the world. <laughs> and so a few weeks ago, I don't know, a month or six weeks ago, something like that. I'm walking off stage right over here. Teddy and Melanie are sitting up there. Teddy's walking down. I'm walking down. We kind of meet. And I just said, Teddy, you need to speak one Sunday. And Teddy goes, oh, I was sitting up there. I'm thinking, I thought the Lord just said... I'm going to give you a message for the church. And I said, said, then it's the Lord. And we worked out the days. He's texting me during the masters. I'm like, shouldn't, hey, how does May 1st look? And I said, shouldn't you be thinking about other stuff right now? (laughs) And he's like, no, 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 when, what, 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 what? And so today's that day that we get to hear from one of our own, the number one golf caddy in the world. He's a man of God. Would you please stand to your feet and welcome our brother, Mr. Ted Scott Come on, Teddy Scott
2: There we go, I think I'm I'm live now you guys can do that again if you want to. I want to see what it's like to win the Masters, you know. Woo! Let's go. Let's go. <laughs> okay, cool. That's enough. That's enough. Look, I just carry clubs. I'm not that big of a deal, guys. Okay, seriously. Um, yeah, so uh, I remember years ago, Pastor Eugene said, if you want to preach, get a message. And uh, in 2014, God gave me a message, and I've been sharing it in a small group of, a small setting of people you know, every chance I get, and uh, and then all of a sudden, like you said, I was sitting up there one day, and it hit me like, oh boy, God wants me to share this with a bigger crowd, and uh, here I am. So um, I am nervous. Um, I'm actually not nervous to talk in front of people. I'm nervous to share a message from God to God's people. So uh, so just bear with me. I might I might be like look up and smile as I read my notes. You know, read some of the wrong stuff. But um anyway. Um, you know, first thing I want to do is, is thank my beautiful wife, Melanie. Woo! Found yeah. out to cry here. Um, 19 years I've been married. Is that right? 19 years? Okay. 19 years we've been married. Um, you know, God said that he was going to give us a helper. And man, I couldn't make it through this world to raise these two beautiful children, Gabrielle and Elijah, uh, without the help of a, a soulmate. You know, 20, 25 weeks a year I'm gone. So it's kind of like an offshore job. Um, when I come home, I see the growth in the kids, the yards taken care of, the house is taken care of, you know, she cooks three meals a day. What a woman. Uh, and most importantly, she loves Jesus. So I'm just so thankful to have her. So anyway, um, so how did I end up here? Obviously I got a word from the Lord and how did you end up here today? You know, I think today is a divine meeting as every time we talk about God, it's a divine meeting and, um, you know, I get to practice my message on you guys. So congrats. Um, I thought I would start by sharing some of my insecurities and my struggles in my life Um, because this today is a little bit about my story, my experience, and how hopefully what I've experienced can help you. And I'm going to tell you the greatest story that's ever been told. That's my story. And your story is the greatest story that's ever been told, believe it or not, because God's going to have a personal relationship with each one of you. And so I encourage you after today to get up here and tell your story because your story is powerful. How God moved in your life to get you here today is a powerful thing. So Um, As a kid, um, my parents split up when I was three years old. And, you know, as a kid, I I didn't understand that because I love both my parents and both my parents love me and and we're still very close to this day. Um, So that was hard, you know, being passed from one parent to the other at, you know, summertime or whatever. Uh, My mom was encouraged to remarry um, when I was seven and, uh, you know, mainly so so our family could be taken care of. And uh, the man that she married, um, he took great care of us. You know, financially, he was, a, he was a very good provider, but he had some sins from his past, from his father, from his childhood that he brought along to his fatherhood with us. And uh, he was an alcoholic. And, um, you know, there was, a, there was always a standard. And it seemed like if you reach the standard, the standard was moving. So it was like, that creates insecurity. And I see it sometimes with my own children. I create that in them. Like I give them a standard and they read Nope, you didn't get there. So now they're like, well, how do I get there, right? so there's a lot of insecurity that came from my childhood um he has since passed away and now I have an incredible bonus dad and there's my mom sitting in the second row there on a, and a, an incredible whoa, oh, nice mom of the number one caddy in the world there we go <laughs> sweet nice shirt now you know where I get my clowning my clowning from right there so so anyway um but, you know, one of the things that my stepdad used to do that would bother me was uh, he would talk about me being skinny. Every time he'd introduce me to someone, a friend of his, he, w- he would make fun of my, my, you know, body shame me, basically. And, you know, God made me this way. I mean, you know, people told me, wait till you turn 30, wait till you turn 40. I'm 48. I mean, this is not getting any bigger. You know what I'm saying? Like, it's just not going to happen. I can eat all the crawfish I want. It's not, it's not going to ha- change. But, um, but, you know, that creates insecurity. Um, you know, I didn't go through puberty till I was 13, uh, 16, so I was very small. And whenever people would call the house, I sounded like Mickey Mouse. I was like, hello. And, uh, and people would say, Sherry. And I'm like, no, this is not Sherry, you know. So I had that insecurity growing up. Um, you know, just life was confusing as a child, like it is for a lot of people, you know, growing up. And uh, we moved for, back from Texas when I was 13 years old. That's a tough time to be moving when you're kind of getting your friend group and things like that. And then I attended Como High School. And uh, Como High School has over 1,000 students. So to be five foot four with the Mickey Mouse voice. Um, everybody's got beards. I tried to play basketball. I remember we were doing the layup drill and one, one guy decided to swat. He was on my team in the layup drill. I, I threw my layup and I saw some shoelaces pass right in front of my thing and I was like, yeah, maybe I'll try golf. So, uh, so anyway, um, fortunately my sister was the, a pretty girl and a senior, so a lot of the senior boys liked me. You know, weird, right? Um, you kind of get favor with by who you hang out with. So I got some popularity. So that kind of satisfied my itch, my insecurities a little bit. Um, and then when I turned 16, I actually drove the nicest car in the entire school a Pontiac Firebird with the gray bird on the front. I mean, come on, somebody. Y'all know. Y'all know what I'm talking about. And I tell you what, I got a lot of friends from that. And uh, you know what? When I got into college, that kind of went away. I was like, "Man, this is fake." People just want to hang out with me because of my car. You know, it really didn't satisfy me. It kind of left an empty feeling. Um, and so, when I was in college, I went one semester over to McNeese State University to play college golf. Didn't really like being redshirted, so I decided to come back to UL and attend here. And I was going to walk on my sophomore year. Well, my sophomore year, um, I started playing a game called foosball. Anybody ever heard of foosball? Table soccer. Well, believe it or not, I flunked out of school. Uh, three years, my dad sent me to school, and I never went to class. I just played foosball every day on the top of Mr. Cook. And in 1994, I won the world championship in foosball. I think we let's go. This is not a joke, people. I'm serious. This is a real thing. There is a world championship, and I did win it with the guy by the name of Terry Rue from Crowley. But you know what was crazy was I spent four hours a day practicing for three years. I dove into it, and it was kind of the first thing in my life that I could actually get into and not, um, and not feel like there was pressure for me to be something. I could just do it because I liked it. And once I achieved the pinnacle, and by the way, that was a green jacket, so I won the first one before my other guys, but, uh, but at the pinnacle of success, you know, if that's what you call success, right, um, man, about two weeks later... Nobody was congratulating me anymore. It just left an emptiness. You know, it's like a tank of gas, right? You drive your car, and it's empty. And then you go to the store and fill up your fridge, and it's empty. And you break up with somebody, and your heart feels empty. And you achieve something, and it feels empty. And so, um, so you know, a lot of the ways that I tried to combat that growing up, those feelings of, of was World Championship in Foosball. Uh, in fifth grade, I remember I brought cardboard to school. Anybody bring cardboard to school to have a dance battle? You know, breakdancing, you know? Anybody? <laughs> Anybody else do that? You kids don't know about that, man. We used to, what's up, man? You got a problem? You start doing your little thing or whatever, you know? Y'all know, y'all know. So, uh, so, you know, you just do anything you could to try to be cool, you know, Um, to try to fill that void, to scratch that itch. And, uh, and man, I, I I dove into sports, you know, I had that nice car, world championship in foosball. Um, After foosball, you know, I felt like God was talking to me and uh, I joined a religion, you know, um, and I became very religious. And for a year and a half, I practiced that religion and there was a lot of rules in this religion. And what I learned from that religion was that I couldn't keep the rules. It was the first time in my life, you know, I, I never tried a drug in my life. I never tried a cigarette. I've been drunk 10 or 15 times in my entire life. Obviously having an alcoholic stepdad and seeing the carnage that came from what his life was uh, drove me away from that, helped me to make that choice. But, you know, from the world standpoint, I was a pretty good guy. But when I realized, man, there's all these rules that I'm not even capable of, I started, God started to reveal in me the wickedness in my own heart. And, uh, and I was like, man, I, I can't do it. And, um, you know, I, I thought there was gotta be some way to get to heaven. And I, I remember my friend, Boudreaux, he took a survey, and he said, oh, I'm pretty smart. I think I can get to heaven. You know, give, give me any question you got. And they said, okay, let's say that you had a survey to get into heaven. And, you know, how many days are there in a week? He said, man, they got three days in a week. He said, three days in a week, Boudreaux, how do you figure? He says, man, they got yesterday, today, and tomorrow. That's three days, boy. <laughs> so they said, okay, we'll give you that one, Boudreaux. He said, Boudreaux, how many seconds are there in a year? He said, man, they got 12 12 seconds in a year, Boudreau. I'm mean, like, yeah, January the 2nd, February the 2nd, March the 2nd. but a, <laughs> boy, you stupid or something? That's 12 seconds in a year, boy. So then he said, Boudreau, what is God's real name? He said, Howard. Howard? I mean, yeah, our father who art in heaven, Howard be thy name, boy. <laughs> so, uh, so anyway, you know, I thought maybe I could work my way to heaven with that religion and, and get smart like the Pharisees. But in the end, it just revealed to me what a wicked person I was. Even though th- the world and my friends and people that knew me said, man, you're a really good guy. I knew what was in my heart and I knew that um, that, I, that didn't satisfy me. So I, so I basically got out of religion and um, I started caddying in 2000 and I was just kind of lost, honestly. I turned pro to, to play golf and started caddying at La Triomphe just to see what, see what I could work on in my own game. And a guy took me on tour and lo and behold, three months later, Tiger Woods, in the greatest year he's ever had, the year 2000, okay, everybody knows who Tiger Woods is, hopefully, he was having the greatest year of his life, he won nine times that year, he won the US Open, the British Open, and only two other people had won those two tournaments and the Canadian Open at the same year. He decided to sign up to play in the Canadian Open. So he shows up at the Canadian Open, well, guess who gets paired with them in the final round, in the final group? Ted Scott, a guy who just started caddying with Grant Waite. And I'm on TV all day. I mean, it's Tiger Woods. So, like, when Tiger Woods goes to the bathroom, they're like, there goes Tiger Woods. going into the bathroom. You know, it's like, so you're right next to him, and my friends are praising me. Dude, I saw you on TV. And we battled him. We actually beat the tournament record by three shots and lost by one to Tiger Woods. And people say that the greatest shot that Tiger Woods has ever hit was that day, and it was on the final hold to beat us by one. And I was standing 20 yards away from him watching the greatest player in the history of the game having the greatest year of his life, setting records, beating us by one. And let me tell you, if that experience alone can't satisfy you, I don't know what can. Because two weeks later, guess what happened again? That emptiness hit in, and my phone stopped ringing, and I wasn't cool anymore. And I was like, dang it, man. I I, I thought I made it. Well, I'm getting to the point here. 2002, I get engaged to Melanie. Melanie. And uh, Melanie's mom, she's sitting right here with my mom. She's a mess. I love this woman. The whole two years we're dating, she's like, you need to come to church. You need to come to church. I'm like, lady, I don't need to go to church. I'm a bad person. You know, some of you in here might wonder that same thing. I can't keep the rules. I'm just a bad person. I don't need to go to church. Well, one day we got engaged and Melanie said, we need to go to church. And I said, well, I guess I need to go to church. So we go to church with her and Opelousa's. And uh, at the end of the service, the pastor invites you to come up and accept Jesus as Lord and Savior. I didn't really know what that meant. Well, there goes Melanie. I'm in the back row, and she's kind of leaving me in a a church full of people I don't know. And she gets about 30 feet away, and I'm like, no, you don't leave without me. So there I go. I'm like, (laughs) so we're up there, and the pastor's like right here praying with her. And I'm like, oh, for Jesus, what they saying. I want to know what's going on. Try to figure out what's happening. So now the pastor comes over to me, and he goes, hey, what are you doing up here? And I said, I don't know, (laughs) and he goes, well, you need to go sit back down, and I was like, the longest walk of my life, people like, okay, so anyway, I met with the pastor after the service, and he answered questions I had about life, about the Bible, about Jesus, and he introduced me to Jesus Christ, my Lord and Savior, and that day has been the change, the greatest change in my entire life, and that's what I'm here to talk to you about today. So how are things different once I became a Christian? Well, I was on the PGA Tour caddying before and in the final group of Tiger, and now I'm on the PGA Tour after and seeing things in a different light, okay? So I want to I talk about Solomon. You know, Solomon was the richest man who ever lived. He was the king of Israel. And, you know, you think about it, If you were the richest, most powerful, let's say you were Elon Musk, right? He was the Elon Musk of today, so to speak. I mean, everybody knows who Elon Musk is. He's doing all these great things. And all of a sudden, he comes back with a message that's very similar to what you, what you might be experiencing, or what I'm experiencing, what I have experienced. So, we're going to put Ecclesiastes one, verse one through eighteen, on the board, and just and just talk about it. You know, here's the the king of Israel, the most wealthy man on the entire planet, the guy that could have anything. And what does he say? The words of the teacher, son of David, king of Jerusalem. It's meaningless. Meaningless, says the teacher. Utterly meaningless. Everything is meaningless. Everything in my life was meaningless until I got saved, until Jesus came into my heart. Every single thing I had done, every accomplishment I had achieved was meaningless. So I could relate to this. What do people gain from all their labors at which they toil under the sun? Generations come and generations go, but the earth remains forever. The the sun rises and the sun sets and hurries back to where it rises. The wind blows to the south and turns to the north. Round and round it goes, ever returning on its course. All streams flow into the sea, yet the sea is never dull. To the place the streams come from, there they return again. All things are wearisome. More than one can say that the eye has never, the eye never has enough of seeing, nor the ear enough of its hearing. And you know, isn't that true? You know, you can't get enough. Trust me. I spend my life walking next to multi-millionaire, famous people, and they can't get enough. They're unhappy. It's amazing. It's it's amazing man's toil and desire for satisfaction, how we wrestle with it. And so my message today is just for you to continue to understand how important it is that don't chase after what's not important, because it doesn't satisfy. It will leave you empty. What has been will be again, and what has been done will be done again. There is nothing new under the sun. Is there anything of which one can say, look, this is something new? No, man, I won the green jacket before these guys. Like, come on. (laughs) It's nothing new, bro. I was like, I'm not impressed you won the green jacket. It was here already long ago. It was here before our time. No one remembers the former generations, and even those yet to come will not be remembered by those who follow them. I, the teacher, was king over Israel in Jerusalem. I applied my mind to study and explore by wisdom all that is done under the heavens. What a heavy burden God has laid on mankind. I have seen all things that are done under the sun. All of them are meaningless. Chasing after the wind. What is crooked cannot be straightened, what is lacking cannot be counted. I said to myself, Look, I have increased in wisdom more than anyone who has ruled over Jerusalem before me. I have experienced much of wisdom and knowledge. Then I applied myself to the understanding of wisdom and also madness and folly, but I learned that this too is chasing after the wind. For with much wisdom comes much sorrow. The more knowledge, the more grief. You know what? That's what I learned. The more That I knew, the more I realized I didn't know. The more broken I I realized I was, the more I needed a savior to save me. My friend Jim Murphy calls it the affluenza virus. You've heard of the influenza virus. He calls it the affluenza virus. Trying to be affluent, right? And so what do we want? Money, possession, status, achievements, prestige. And he says this, and I love this. A heart built on temporary things will have insecurity as a companion. That's me. That's me. I built my heart on temporary things and I was insecure. You know, And and that's what we get when we build our heart on temporary things. Um, In 2006, I began working for Bubba Watson. Bubba was a Christian, a very tough upbringing, became a Christian, um, and the most talented golfer in the world. Even Tiger Woods wanted to play practice rounds with him to learn from Bubba Watson, a guy who had never won. He sought, and we played about seven or eight practice rounds in 2007 with Tiger Woods, and he was trying to learn from Bubba Watson. And uh, once Bubba got his mind right, his spirit right, he ended up winning the Masters in 2012. And a, another caddy that had won a big tournament came up to me and he told me, he said, Ted, get ready for a year and a half of hell. And I said, dude, we just won the Masters. What are you talking about? And he goes, I'm telling you, you're about to experience something you've never experienced before. And my wife can tell you, I called her three times that year, the following year. And I told her, I said, I'm quitting this job. I hate this job. It's, it's brutal. I'm, I'm miserable. Bubba's miserable. And what it was, was the world puts you up here to be worshipped. And man is not made to be worshipped. And, and you can't handle it, trust me. You're not, it's not, they weren't worshiping me. I was standing next to the man that they were worshiping. And I was miserable just because I'm hanging out with them. Like, man, this is a miserable way to be. And this is where it gets really cool. This is where my message in 2014, this is where my, God gave me this message to come speak to you today in 2014. We reset in, in the beginning of 2014. We reset and we went to Romans 12:2. And this is what Bubba and I focused on at the beginning. After the year and a half of misery, do not conform to the pattern of this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind. Then you will be able to test and approve what God's will is, his good, pleasing, and perfect will. And you know what happened? We, we got peace. We got peace. We stopped worrying about the world and what they say we should or shouldn't do or what we're supposed to be. And we, got, we weren't distracted. Are you distracted, believer? I know I was. You know, We won the Masters, man. We're getting all this prestige, right? Um, and then Philippians 4.12. I know what it is to be in need, and I know what it is to have plenty. I've learned the secret of being content in any and every situation, whether well-fed or hungry, whether living in plenty or in want. So the secret to that year was to choose joy, as we heard, you know, in the song, in the prayer earlier. It's like, just choose joy, no matter your circumstance. Whatever you're going through, choose joy. And this is where it gets really cool. Bubba won- won ended up winning the Masters again in 2014. And you'll never guess what happened. Two weeks later I get a phone call. Okay. And Bubba Watson has his phone pl- his phone blocked or restricted so you don't know it's him. Why? Because the dude, you know, so many people if they know it's him will be like, oh my god, I got Bubba's number, right? So I answered a lot of telemarketing calls that year unwanted in case you know what I'm saying. <laughs> like, hello? Ah, ha, huh, you know. Well, I answered this time again, not sure if it's my boss. Hello. And the first thing that comes out of the person's mouth on the other phone is, what's the point? And I said, hello. He goes, seriously, dude, what's the point? And then I recognized Bubba's voice. And I said, what's the point of what? And he goes, winning the Masters, it's pointless. Let that sink in. The greatest golf tournament in the world, the most prestigious golf tournament in the world. He won it the second time. and calls me two weeks afterwards. You notice a pattern here? What does Solomon say? It's meaningless. Yeah. I'm going to play a few videos for you. Um, before we play the first one, the Lecrae video, uh, Bubby did this thing called Bubba's Bash, and Lecrae is the most popular Christian rapper of all time, and we got to spend some time backstage with him, and he shared something with me, and I contacted his team and asked him if he would, he would share that again, so he put a, little, put a little message up here for you, so check this out.
0: Hey, what's going on, y'all? This is Lecrae. Um, I want to share something with you. I... Uh, i have made it to the proverbial top <laughs> i've you know won multiple grammy awards i've had the number one album in the country um and you know getting there was fun it was an enjoyable ride but what's not fun is staying there because when you're at the top now everyone expects you to stay and what i've found is at the top you have a bunch of people who will act as if, hey, this is great, I love it up here, but truthfully, they're fighting because they've got to kick everyone else off that mountain so they can stay there. Because there's always somebody climbing as well, and now in order to stay at the top, you're just constantly fighting and kicking off everyone else in order for you to stay there. Um, and to me, that weakens us, and that take devours us of the strength that I think we need, and it takes away the fun of having climbed in the first place because now you're only concerned with being there um, so I hope that's helpful for you um, enjoy the journey the journey sometimes is better than the destination
2: powerful so I started just paying attention after that that phone call from Bubba and this is another one that stuck out to me um, Tom Brady after he won his third Super Bowl did an interview and this was pretty interesting
3: go out to restaurants
4: If I have the energy to deal with, you know, put a happy face on. Sometimes I don't feel like that.
3: Now, you seem a bit the reluctant star.
4: Well, the problem is it's you can't have one without the other. You can't have the football fame and not the other stuff. So in a lot of ways, I've created this myself. (laughs) It's what you always wanted. (laughs) You're right. You're right. It has. And I didn't think it came with all the other baggage, though.
3: But with all that money, fame, and career accomplishments, we were surprised to hear this from him.
4: Why do I have three Super Bowl rings and and still think there's something greater out there for me? I mean, maybe a lot of people would say, hey, man, this is what it is. I reached my goal, my dream, my life is me. I thank God. It's got to be more than this.
3: What's the answer?
4: I wish I knew. I wish I knew. You don't say. I love playing football and I love being the quarterback for this team. And but at the same time, I think there's a lot of other parts about me that I'm trying to find.
2: Hmm. Notice the pattern, right? Um, you know, it's it's common. I hear it a lot more. I wish I could record all the times I've heard this same conversation. Um, I'll play another one for you, please. And this is kind of the before and after effects of chasing after those things. Um, Jim Carrey was the you know, $15 million man, actor, and he had some cool things to say as well.
4: Jim Carrey, who can walk down the street just, just uh, you know, doing anything he wants to and get away with it because nobody knows you. You know, after a while, hopefully it'll be to the point where I can't walk out in the street. Won't that be fun? <laughs> where, where, where it'll be impossible to, to walk anywhere without being recognized. Where did that transition take
1: place?
0: uh, somewhere in the middle of absolute confusion, absolute disappointment, absolute uh, uh, the fruition of all of my dreams, uh, standing there with everything anybody else had ever dreamed about having and be unhappy.
2: that'll preach you want to close pastor <laughs> you know that's the message um I'm gonna tell you all a quick story I don't really tell quick stories in case you didn't notice but uh so um Justin Bieber um is friends with Judah Smith Judah Smith's a pastor he's he's spoke at our Savior's Church in Lafayette and uh and Judah and Baba are best friends and so um Justin Bieber was having some issues, some troubles with his life, just struggling, you know, with the same stuff that we struggled with, with Bubba struggled with, you know, Uh, man is not meant to be that famous and that powerful. And, uh, he decided to cancel all of his shows. I think it was 2017, canceled his tour and Bubba was like, man, I feel like we should do something for him. So he invited Justin Bieber to come to the PGA championship in Charlotte. Okay. So I kid you not, Justin Bieber, a week before the PGA championship, uh, Bubba texts him, and he's like, yeah, dude, I'm going to come. So it's like, cool. Well, Justin texts Judah Smith and says, hey, Judah, get us a plane. You know, just get us a plane. So Judah's like, okay, he's a pastor, right? So he gets an Uber on the day that they're leaving, and they get in the car. He goes and picks up Justin Bieber in Los Angeles, and they're in the Uber. And all of a sudden, Bieber recognizes where they're going. he goes, huh? are we flying public? He didn't say private or, or Commercial. He said, "Public." And Judah goes, "Yeah, dude, I'm a pastor. Like, I don't know how you thought we were gonna get you a plane or whatever." He's like, "Call my agent." So now he goes, "You know what? We're gonna do it." So they literally get on a plane in Los Angeles. By the time they land in Charlotte, a direct flight, there's 150 paparazzi there waiting. The airport security has to take them out some strange exit to get them away from all that, so they can leave the airport. He comes to the house that we're renting for the week and stays with us for the week. Justin Bieber. There's like five of us in the house, okay? So the first day on the practice round, uh, Bubba's like, dude, come to the course with us. Okay, so we go to the course. Justin Bieber's inside the ropes. Well, man, it's like crazy how many people start following Bubba Watson, not, you know, not because of him, because of Justin Bieber. And after five holes, it's getting so crazy that he leaves. He literally is like, I can't take it. I, I'm going back to the house. So he leaves. The next day, he made it four holes. And he goes back to the house, and Bubba's uh, trainer slash chiropractor was there. And Beaver's going, man, my back's kind of jacked up. He goes, would you mind working on me? And Brian goes, yeah, dude, no problem. So he gets on the table, and the first thing Brian says is, how was your day, man? And these are the words that came out of his mouth. I wasn't there, but I was told the story by Brian. He said, my life sucks. I can't go anywhere, man. Tiger Woods named his boat, Privacy Boat. It's a 150-foot yacht. And he, he was quoted once saying, I like to scuba dive because the fish don't know me. So, in Mark, eight thirty six, for what does it profit a man to gain the whole world and forfeit his soul? See, Justin Bieber actually knows Jesus, but he's being torn back and forth between the world and Jesus. And Judas Smith is bubba are influencing this way, and then the world brings him back. Tiger doesn't know Jesus yet, but But they're both battling the same thing, is that nobody really likes being famous. Nobody likes that power, you know. It's like it's this emptiness that it continues to leave you with, continues and continues. So how do you fill that void if everything is meaningless? You can never have enough sex, money, drugs, alcohol, prestige, gossip enough, brag enough, achieve enough to fill all the emptiness in your soul. Can't do it. Find somebody that does. You know, when you meet that person, I'd like to talk to them and quiz them because I promise you they're just faking it like everybody else. In Matthew chapter 11, 28 to 30, here's the secret. You want to know how you fill the void? You want to know how you find purpose in your life? You follow God's two greatest commandments. It's right here. Come to me. Sorry, it's in the next one. This is a good one too. Come to me all who labor and are heavy laden and I will give you rest. You know, do you want rest? Are you like Justin Bieber? He canceled his tour. Why? He wanted rest. Not that he was tired of performing. He just wanted rest for his soul, right? Take my yoke upon you and learn from me for I am gentle and lowly in heart and you will find rest for your souls for my yoke is easy, yoke is easy and my burden is light. Do you want rest, peace? What we desire most is relationships and this is the, the two great commandments in Matthew 22, 37 and 39. Love the Lord God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your mind. This is the first and greatest commandment and the second is like it. Love your neighbor as yourself. You know how I find fulfillment now? Is I, I do my best to love people. You know, I had three people call me this week crying, and that tells me I'm doing something right because they're confiding in me. Three people called me crying this week. It's pretty powerful to, to find fulfillment in not winning the Masters, but helping somebody else get over their, their pain and suffering. Coming alongside somebody and walking with them through their difficult times, loving on them. And I promise you, I can't do that without knowing the love of Jesus Christ first. Whew. So if you want fulfillment, if you want a purpose, it's God and people. That's your purpose. God and people. Bubba was on the 2016 Ryder Cup team. He, he's been on four Ryder Cup teams. Um, but Ryder Cup is a team event. It's the, probably, it's the most nervous that pros get. It's a 12-person team event in an individual sport. 12 people come against 12 people from Europe. 12 Americans versus 12 Europeans. The most intense thing, there's no money involved. It's just all for bragging rights. And it's the most nervous players talk about throwing up before, you know, how their hands are shaking, kind of like me about to come on stage here today. (laughs) In 2016, Bubba Watson was the seventh-ranked player in the world, and they take 12 Americans. Seventh-ranked player in the world, they take 12 Americans. And he did not make the team. Why? Because he had played so well the the previous year, and he started to play poorly, but his world ranking was high, but his, his Ryder Cup status, he just got out of the the spots that earn it and now they have to pick and they decided not to pick him. Well, he was broken. He cried, you know, to be the seventh ranked player in the world. is pretty embarrassing, right? Well, the cool thing was the captain Davis love the called him and said, Hey, would you want to be an assistant captain? Now let's talk about ego for a second. You're the seventh ranked player in the world. You didn't get picked for a 12 man team to represent your country and now the captain is calling to ask you to come serve as an assistant captain and serve the people that will be playing. Bubba prayed with his wife, and he decided to take that opportunity. And at the end of that week, Bubba Watson said that's the happiest he's ever been in his entire life. So. Find your purpose. It's God and people. Matthew six thirty three and 34. But seek first his kingdom and his righteousness, and all these things will be given to you as well. Therefore, do not worry about tomorrow, for tomorrow will worry about itself. Each day has enough trouble of its own. We just celebrated Easter in the eyewitness account of the empty tomb of Jesus Christ. And the emptiness that comes from worldly desires is solved by Jesus on the cross and the empty tomb. Your heart is empty, but so is the tomb. I'm going to play Scotty Scheffler, a few videos by Scotty Scheffler now. He's my new partner in crime, and uh, he's got an incredible family that loves Jesus. He married a woman that was a youth uh, minister, and her family loves Jesus. And I'm going to tell you, if you want your kids to grow up to be anything, you want them to grow up to be like this man. Now, I'm going to fight like a dog to keep the world from him, because the world now is going to pull from him after he won the Masters. But I'm telling you, the heart of this guy, he doesn't care about social media. He doesn't care about fame. He loves to compete. He loves the game of golf. And you're going to see his heart on this screen right here.
3: You know, the reason why I play golf is because, you know, I'm trying to glorify God and, you know, all that he's done in my life. And so for me, my identity isn't, isn't a golf score. You know, like Meredith told me this morning, she says, if you win this golf tournament today, um, if you lose this golf tournament by 10 shots, if you never win another golf tournament again, she goes, I'm still going to love you. You're still going to be the same person. Jesus loves you. Um, and nothing changes. And all I'm trying to do is glorify God. And that's why I'm here. And that's why I'm in this position. And so for me, um, it's not, it's not about a gospel. Who, who am I to say that I know what's best for, for my life? And so for what we talked about is, you know, that God is in control and, you know, the Lord is leading me. And, um, if today's my time, then, then it's my time. And if you know, I shot 82 today. You know, somehow I was going to use it for his glory. And you know, as the human condition is just to to make things bigger than they really are. And you know, years from now, I would say people may not remember me as a champion and that's fine. But in the moment, you think it's a lot bigger deal than it really is.
1: Teddy Scott <laughs> You'd be seated just for a few more minutes, and uh, I just want to recap something Teddy said, and we talked about the message and told me, "This is how I want to end it?" And about the empty tomb. And the tomb is empty, so you don't have to be. It's, it's not in a green jacket. It's not in the promotion. It's, it's not in the dollars. It's not in the girl. It's not in the guy. It's in a person. And his name is Jesus. And he's the thing that you've been lacking and striving for. And where am I going to get it? And how am I going to get it? And So I, I've come with good news today. You, you've seen Scotty found it. At the end, Bubba found it. And, and you see Teddy and Melanie found it. I, I asked Teddy the other day, so... So you don't want to go to the Masters anymore? He goes, no, I want to go to the Masters. It's just fun because it doesn't really matter if you win or not because it's all meaningless in the end. It's just fun. And we're just out there having a good time. And he goes, it's just fun. And go, man, a man who could find peace didn't find it in himself. He found it in a person. I, I love this. Someone was asked one time, they said, you know, how, 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 how do you get to heaven? You know, you, how how righteous do you have to be to get to heaven? I mean, if zero was, you know, just pure wicked, and one hundred percent was righteous, how, how righteous do you got to be to get into heaven? And then, you, so start thinking about that. I mean, how righteous are you? Think about. It. I mean, put a number on it. How righteous are you really? I mean, let's let's do let's do the math here, Mother Teresa. Ninety nine? Billy Graham. Ninety seven? Pastor Eugene. You better say something good. Sixty-two? Who said that? Johnny, you're out of here, bro. I'll be sixty-two because you're sixty-one. Yeah, you just you just just go down. What's, what's the point? The point is only 100 gets in. So it doesn't matter if you're 99 or if you're 97 or if you're 61 like Johnny. Johnny's 39 short. None of us are perfect. Nobody here. And you go, well, then what's the good news? Because that's bad news. The good news is, it's why Jesus came. You see, the cross is the ultimate plus sign. And when Jesus died, he said, I'm going to make up the 39 that Johnny's missing, the 38 that Pastor Eugene is missing, the one that Mother Teresa is missing, the three that Billy Graham, for we have all sinned, and fallen short of the glory of God. And so it doesn't matter if you're sitting in the room and if you need five points or you need 95 points. It really doesn't matter. It's the reason why he came. He said, I didn't come into the world to condemn it. He didn't come to condemn you. God is not condemning you. He said, but I came to save it. He came to save you. He came to add whatever you were missing so that we could all stand before God, righteous, not because of anything we've done, but because what he has done for us. Can you give him praise and just say thank you? So so how do you get that applied to you? Well, Nicodemus asked that question to Jesus in the Bible. He came to Jesus and said, What do I got to do for eternal life? And Nicodemus said, Jesus said to him, you got to be born again. And and he said, well, how can I do that? I mean, I can't go back into my mother's womb. And he said, I'm not talking about born of the flesh. I'm talking about being born of the spirit. You must be born again. Wouldn't that be cool? How many of you have ever thought, I wish I could get a redo or in golfing terms, a mulligan at life. I wish I could start over. You can't. You can be born again and start over. What about my past? He'll take all of your sin and throw it into the sea of forgetfulness and remember it no more. How do you apply that? A. You got to be honest. You only get God when you're honest, not 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 religious. Honest, God, I need you, Lord. I, I fall short. I'm a, I'm a sinner. I, I need forgiveness. I need it. When you get honest, just A, admit it. B, believe. Everybody say believe. Oh, not, not here, but here. That Jesus would actually come and actually die. The scripture says, you, you remember the story of him in the Garden of Gethsemane? He's sweating bullets. Like, Lord, let this cup pass for me. But then Hebrews goes on to say, but he saw the joy set before him and that he was willing to endure the cross. What was the joy? You. He saw you and you, and you, and you and you and you and me and you. He saw us and went, I'm willing to do it for them. And he endured it. Believe it that he died for you. And then C, just confess him as Lord. What does that mean? It just means to make him the boss. You you heard Teddy's testimony. It was through Melanie and her family connected him to a relationship. It connected him to Christ and said, now I'm going to make Jesus the boss. He's not perfect. He still calls me and goes, Teddy, it ain't about you, man of God. We're all still a work in progress. But it's making him the boss with I'm gonna submit to the Lord and I'm gonna do it his way. Would you bow your heads with me all across this room? Christians, would you pray? Because I'm going to give you the opportunity to know that Savior. That's the empty spot you keep trying to fill with all the other stuff. It's not a green jacket, won't fill it. It's not an accolade or the promotion. Or the money, or the fame. It's a person. His name is Jesus, and he wants to know you. I want to pray for you. If you say, Pastor Eugene, I'm ready today. I'm ready to surrender my life. I want to be born again. I want to start over. I, I want a brand new beginning. I, I want to make Jesus my boss. I need forgiveness, and I'm here today, and I'm going to ask him for it. I want to pray with you. All I'm going to ask is, would you mind just, just real quick? I'm just saying. Pray for me, Pastor. Would you just slip your hand up all over the room? I just want to just just acknowledge. There's somebody here that needs that. Just thank you, thank you, thank you. This is not to embarrass anybody. Thank you. Hands are going up all over the room. I want to pray with you and for you and and I want you to. I'm going to lead you in a prayer. This prayer is not magic. This prayer doesn't do it. It has to be the cry of your heart. It's not just words out of your mouth. It's the cry of your heart. But I'll lead you in a prayer. And you could pray this with me. Congregation, let's add our voice to theirs. Would you say, dear Heavenly Father, I confess I am a sinner and I do need forgiveness. Please forgive me of my sins. It's been about me. And I apologize. I repent. Would you come into my heart and be the Lord of my life? I make you the boss. I want to follow you. I I, I need you. And I surrender my life to you. Thank you for giving me a place in heaven, purpose on earth, and a relationship with the Father. I receive you today. In Jesus' name, amen. Can we give God all the praise?